Section three of Round the Red Lamp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Round the Red Lamp by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Section three. A Straggler of Fifteen. It was a dull October morning, and heavy rolling fog wreaths lay low over the wet grey roofs of the Woolwich houses. Down in the long, brick-lined streets, all was sodden and greasy and cheerless. From the high, dark buildings of the arsenal came the whir of many wheels, the thudding of weights, and the buzz and babel of human toil. Beyond, the dwellings of the working men, smoke-stained and unlovely, radiated away in a lessening perspective of narrowing road and dwindling wall. There were few folk in the streets, for the toilers had all been absorbed since break of day by the huge smoke-spouting monster which sucked in the manhood of the town to belch it forth weary and work-stained every night. Little groups of children straggled to school, or loitered to peep through the single front windows at the big gilt-edged Bibles balanced upon small three-legged tables which were their usual adornment. Stout women with thick red arms and dirty aprons stood upon the whitened doorsteps, leaning upon their brooms and shrieking their morning greetings across the road. One, stouter, redder, and dirtier than the rest, had gathered a small knot of cronies around her and was talking energetically, with little shrill titters from her audience, to punctuate her remarks. "'Old enough to know better!' she cried, in answer to an exclamation from one of the listeners. "'If he ain't no sense now, I specs he won't learn much on this side of Jordan. Why, how old is he at all? Blessed if I could ever make out.' "'Well, it ain't so hard to reckon,' said a sharp-featured, pale-faced woman with watery blue eyes. "'He's been at the Battle of Waterloo and has the pension and medal to prove it.' "'That were a terrible long time agone.' remarked a third. It were afore I were born. It were fifteen year after the beginning of the century, cried a younger woman, who had stood leaning against the wall with a smile of superior knowledge upon her face. My Bill was a-saying so last Sabbath when I spoke to him of old Daddy Brewster here. And suppose he spoke truth, Mrs. Simpson. How long agone did that make it? "'It's eighty-one now,' said the original speaker, checking off the years upon her coarse red fingers. "'And that were fifteen. Ten and ten and ten and ten and ten. Why, it's only sixty-six year, so he ain't so old after all.' "'But he weren't a newborn babe at the battle, silly,' cried the young woman with a chuckle. "'Suppose he were only twenty, then he couldn't be less than six and eighty now, at the lowest.' "'Aye, is that every day of it?' cried several. "'I've about enough of it,' remarked the large woman gloomily. "'Unless his young niece or grand-niece or whatever she is come to-day, I'm off, and he can find someone else to do his work. Your own home first, says I.' "'Ain't he quiet, then, Mrs. Simpson?' asked the youngest of the group. "'Listen to him now,' she answered, with her hand half-raised and her head turned slantwise towards the open door. From the upper floor there came a shuffling, sliding sound, with a sharp tapping of a stick. "'There he go, back and forwards, doing what he call his sentry go. 
half the night through he's at that game the silly old juggins at six o'clock this very morning there he was beaten with a stick at my door turn out guard he cried and a lot more jargon that i could make nothing of then what with his coughing and hawking and spitting there ain't no getting a wink of sleep hark to him now mrs simpson mrs simpson cried a cracked and querulous voice from above that's him she cried nodding her head with an air of triumph he do go on something scandalous yes mr brewster sir i want my morning ration mrs simpson it's just ready mr brewster sir bless it if he ain't like a baby crying for its pap said the young woman i feels if i could shake his old bones up sometimes cried mrs simpson viciously but who's for half a fourpenny the whole company were about to shuffle off to the public-house when a young girl stepped across the road and touched the housekeeper timidly upon the arm i think that is number fifty six arsenal view she said can you tell me if mr brewster lives here the housekeeper looked critically at the newcomer she was a girl of about twenty broad-faced and comely with a turned-up nose and large honest grey eyes her print dress her straw hat with its bunch of glaring poppies and the bundle she carried had all a smack of the country you're nora brewster i suppose said mrs simpson eyeing her up and down with no friendly gaze yes i've come to look after my grand-uncle gregory and a good job too cried the housekeeper with a toss of her head it's about time that some of his own folk took a turn at it for i have had enough of it there you are young woman in you go and make yourself at home there's tea in the caddy and bacon on the dresser and the old man will be about you if you don't fetch him his breakfast i'll send for my things in the evening with a nod she strolled off with her attendant gossips in the direction of the public-house thus left to her own devices the country girl walked into the front room and took off her hat and jacket it was a low-roofed apartment with a sputtering fire upon which a small brass kettle was singing cheerily a stained cloth lay over half the table with an empty brown teapot a loaf of bread and some coarse crockery nora brewster looked rapidly about her and in an instant took over her new duties ere five minutes had passed the tea was made two slices of bacon were frizzling on the pan the table was rearranged the antimacassars straightened over the sombre brown furniture and the whole room had taken a new air of comfort and neatness this done she looked round curiously at the prints upon the walls over the fireplace in a small square case a brown medal caught her eye hanging from a strip of purple ribbon beneath was a slip of newspaper cutting she stood on her tiptoes with her fingers on the edge of the mantelpiece and craned her neck up to see it glancing down from time to time at the bacon which simmered and hissed beneath her the cutting was yellow with age and ran in this way on tuesday an interesting ceremony was performed at the barracks of the third regiment of guards when in the presence of the prince regent lord hill lord saltoon and an assemblage which comprised beauty as well as valour a special medal was presented to corporal gregory brewster of captain haldane's flank company in recognition of his gallantry in the recent great battle in the lowlands it appears that on the ever-memorable eighteenth of june four companies of the third guards and of the coldstreams 
under the command of Colonels Maitland and Bing, held the important farmhouse of Hougemont at the right of the British position. At a critical point of the action, these troops found themselves short of powder, seeing that Generals Foy and Jérôme Bonaparte were again massing their infantry for an attack on the position, Colonel Bing dispatched Corporal Brewster to the rear to hasten up the reserve ammunition. Brewster came upon two powder tumbrils of the Nassau division, and succeeded, after menacing the drivers with his musket, in inducing them to convey their powder to Hougemont. In his absence, however, the hedges surrounding the position had been set on fire by a howitzer battery of the French, and the passage of the carts full of powder became a most hazardous matter. The first tumbril exploded, blowing the driver to fragments. Daunted by the fate of his comrade, the second driver turned his horses, but Corporal Brewster, springing upon his seat, hurled the man down, and urging the powder cart through the flames, succeeded in forcing his way to his companions. To this gallant deed may be directly attributed the success of the British arms, for without powder it would have been impossible to have held Hougomont, and the Duke of Wellington had repeatedly declared that had Hougomont fallen, as well as La Haye Sainte, he would have found it impossible to have held his ground. Long may the heroic Brewster live to treasure the medal which he has so bravely won, and to look back with pride to the day when, in the presence of his comrades, he received this tribute to his valour from the august hands of the first gentleman of the realm. The reading of this old cutting increased in the girl's mind the veneration which she had always had for her warrior kinsman. From her infancy he had been her hero, and she remembered how her father used to speak of his courage and his strength, how he could strike down a bullock with a blow of his fist and carry a fat sheep under either arm. True, she had never seen him, but a rude painting at home which depicted a square-faced, clean-shaven, stalwart man with a great bearskin cap, rose ever before her memory when she thought of him. She was still gazing at the brown medal, and wondering what the dulce et decorum est might mean, which was inscribed upon the edge, when there came a sudden tapping and shuffling upon the stair and there at the door was standing the very man who had been so often in her thoughts. But could this indeed be he? Where was the martial air, the flashing eye, the warrior face which she had pictured? There, framed in the doorway, was a huge, twisted old man, gaunt and puckered, with twitching hands and shuffling purposeless feet, a cloud of fluffy white hair, a red-veined nose, two thick tufts of eyebrow, and a pair of dimly questioning, watery blue eyes. These were what met her gaze. He leaned forward upon a stick, while his shoulders rose and fell with his crackling, rasping breathing. "'I want my morning rations,' he crooned as he stumped forward to his chair. "'The cold nips me without em. See to my fingers!' He held out his distorted hands, all blue at the tips, wrinkled and gnarled, with huge projecting knuckles. "'It's nigh ready,' answered the girl, gazing at him with wonder in her eyes. "'Don't you know who I am, Granduncle? I'm Nora Brewster, from Witham.' "'Rum is warm,' mumbled the old man, rocking to and fro in his chair, 
and schnapps is warm, and there's eatin' soup, but it's a dish of tea for me. What did you say your name was? Nora Brewster. You can speak out, lass. Seems to me folks' voices isn't as loud as they used. I'm Nora Brewster, uncle. I'm your grand-niece come down from Essex Way to live with you. You'll be Brother George's girl. Lord, to think a little George having a girl. He chuckled hoarsely to himself, and the long, stringy sinews of his throat jerked and quivered. I'm the daughter of your brother George's son, said she, as she turned the bacon. Law, but little George was a rare one, he continued. Eh, by Jiminy, there was no chousing George. He's got a bullpup of mine that I gave him when I took the bounty. You've heard him speak of it, likely. Why, Grandpa George has been dead this twenty year, said she, pouring out the tea. Well, it was a beautiful pup. Aye, a well-bred un, by Jiminy. I'm cold for lack of my rations. Rum is good, and so is schnapps, but I'd as lief have tea as either. He breathed heavily while he devoured his food. It's a middling goodish way you've come, said he at last. Likely the stage left yesternight. The what, uncle? The coach that brought you. Nay, I came by the morning train. Law, now, think o' that. You ain't afeard of those new-fangled things. By Jiminy, to think of you coming by railroad like that. What's the world a-coming to? There was silence for some minutes while Nora sat stirring her tea and glancing sideways at the bluish lips and champing jaws of her companion. You must have seen a deal of life, uncle said she. It must seem a long, long time to you. Not so very long, neither. I'm ninety, come Candlemas, but it don't seem long since I took the bounty. And that battle, it might have been yesterday. Eh, but I get a power good for my rations. He did indeed look less worn and colourless than when she first saw him. His face was flushed and his back more erect. "'Have you read that?' he asked, jerking his head towards the cutting. "'Yes, uncle, and I'm sure you must be proud of it.' "'Ah, it was a great day for me. A great day. The regent was there, and a fine body of a man, too. "'The regiment is proud of you,' says he. "'And I'm proud of the regiment,' say I. "'A damned good answer, too,' says he, to Lord Hill.' and they both bust out a-laughing. But what be you a-peeping out of the window for? Oh, uncle, here's a regiment of soldiers coming down the street, with a band playing in front of them. A regiment, eh? Where be my glasses? Law, but I can hear the band as plain as plain. Here's the pioneers and the drum major. What be their number, lass? His eyes were shining and his bony yellow fingers, like the claws of some fierce old bird, dug into her shoulder. "'They don't seem to have no number, Uncle. They've something wrote on their shoulders. Oxfordshire, I think it be.' "'Ah, yes,' he growled. "'I heard as they dropped the numbers, and given them new-fangled names. 
There they go, by Jiminy. They're young, mostly, but they ain't forgot how to march. They have the swing. Aye, I'll say that for them. They've got the swing. He gazed after them until the last files had turned the corner and the measured tramp of their marching had died away in the distance. He had just regained his chair when the door opened and a gentleman stepped in. "'Ah, Mr. Brewster, better today?' he asked. "'Come in, doctor. Yes, I'm better. But there's a deal of bubbling in my chest. It's all them tubes. If I could but cut the phlegm, I'll be right.' "'Can't you give me something to cut the phlegm?' The doctor, a grave-faced young man, put his fingers to the furrowed blue-corded wrist. "'You must be careful,' he said. "'You must take no liberties.' The thin tide of life seemed to thrill rather than to throb under his finger. The old man chuckled. "'I've got Brother George's girl to look after me now. She'll see I don't break barracks or do what I hadn't ought to.' why darn my skin i knew something was amiss with what why with them soldiers you saw them pass doctor eh they'd forgot their stocks not one of them had a stock on he croaked and chuckled for a long time over his discovery it wouldn't a done for the duke he muttered no by jiminy Duke could add a word there. The doctor smiled. Well, you're doing very well, said he. I'll look in once a week or so and see how you are. As Nora followed him to the door, he beckoned her outside. He's very weak, he whispered. If you find him failing, you must send for me. What ails him, doctor? Ninety years ails him. His arteries are pipes of lime. His heart is shrunken and flabby. The man is worn out. Nora stood watching the brisk figure of the young doctor and pondering over these new responsibilities which had come upon her. When she turned, a tall, brown-faced artilleryman, with the three gold chevrons of sergeant upon his arm, was standing, carbine in arm, at her elbow. "'Good morning, miss,' said he, raising one thick finger to his jaunty, yellow-banded cap. "'I believe there's an old gentleman lives here of the name of Brewster.' Who was engaged in the Battle of Waterloo. "'It's my grand-uncle, sir,' said Nora, casting down her eyes before the keen, critical gaze of the young soldier. "'He's in the front parlour. "'Could I have a word with him, miss? "'I'll call again, if it don't chance to be convenient.' "'I'm sure that he would be very glad to see you, sir. "'He's in here, if you'll step in. "'Uncle, here's a gentleman who wants to speak with you.' "'Proud to see you, sir.' "'Proud and glad, sir,' cried the sergeant, taking three steps forward into the room and grounding his carbine while he raised his hand, palm forwards, in a salute. Nora stood by the door, with her mouth and eyes open, wondering if her grand-uncle had ever, in his prime, looked like this magnificent creature, and whether he, in his turn, would ever come to resemble her grand-uncle. The old man blinked up at his visitor and shook his head slowly. "'Sit you down, sergeant,' said he, pointing with his stick to a chair. "'You're full young for the stripes. "'Lordy, it's easier to get three now than one in my day. "'Gunners were old soldiers then, and the grey hairs came quicker than the three stripes.' 
"'I am eight years' service, sir,' cried the sergeant. "'MacDonald is my name. Sergeant MacDonald, of H. Battery, Southern Artillery Division. I've called as the spokesman of my mates at the Gunners' Barracks to say that we are proud to have you in the town, sir.' Old Brewster chuckled and rubbed his bony hands. "'That were what the regent said,' he cried. "'The Richmond is proud of you,' says he. "'And I am proud of the Richmond,' says I. "'And a damn good answer, too,' says he, "'and he and Lord Hill burst out a-laughing.' "'The non-commissioned mess would be proud and honoured to see you, sir,' "'said Sergeant MacDonald. "'And if you could step as far, "'you'll always find a pipe of becky "'and a glass of grog awaiting you.' "'The old man laughed until he coughed. "'Like to see me, would they, the dogs?' said he. "'Well, well, when the warm weather comes again I'll maybe drop in. Too grand for a canteen, eh? Got your mess, just the same as the officers. What's the world a-coming to at all?' "'You was in the line, sir, was you not?' asked the sergeant respectfully. "'The line!' cried the old man, with shrill scorn. "'Never wore a shako in my life. I'm a guardsman, I am. Served in the third guards.' the same they call now the Scots Guards. Lordy, but they've all marched away, every man of them, from old Colonel Bing down to the drummer boys. And here am I, a straggler. That's what I am, Sergeant, a straggler. I'm here when I ought to be there. But it ain't my fault, neither, for I'm ready to fall in when the word comes. We've all got to muster there, answered the Sergeant. "'Won't you try my backy, sir?' handing over a sealskin pouch. Old Brewster drew a blackened clay pipe from his pocket and began to stuff the tobacco into the bowl. In an instant it slipped through his fingers and was broken to pieces on the floor. His lip quivered, his nose puckered up, and he began crying with the long, helpless sobs of a child. "'I broke my pipe!' he cried. "'Don't, uncle! Oh, don't!' cried Nora bending over him and patting his wide head as one soothed a baby. "'It don't matter. We can easy get another.' "'Don't fret yourself, sir,' said the sergeant. "'Here's a wooden pipe with an amber mouth. If you'll do me the honour to accept it from me, I'd be real glad if you'll take it.' "'Jiminy!' cried he, his smiles breaking in an instant through his tears. "'It's a fine pipe. See to my new pipe, Nora.' I lay the charge, never had a pipe like that. You've got your firelock there, sergeant? Yes, sir. I was on my way back from the butts when I looked in. Let me have the feel of it. Lordy, but it seems like old times to have one's hand on a musket. What's the manual, sergeant, eh? Cock your firelock. Look to your priming. Present your firelock. Eh, sergeant? Oh, Jiminy. "'Have broke your musket in halves.' <laughs> "'That's all right, sir,' cried the gunner, laughing. "'You pressed on the lever and opened the breech-piece. "'That's where we load em, you know.' "'Load em at the wrong end. "'Well, well, to think of that. "'And no ramrod neither. "'I've heard tell of it, but I never believed it afore. "'Ah, it won't come up to brown bess. "'When there's work to be done,' You mark my word and see if they don't come back to Brown Bess. By the Lord, sir, cried the sergeant hotly. They need some change out in South Africa now. 
I see by this morning's paper that the government has knuckled under to these boors. They're hot about it at the non-com mess, I can tell you, sir. Eh, croaked old Brewster. By Jiminy, it wouldn't have done for the Duke. The Duke would have had a word to say over that. Ah, that he would, sir, cried the sergeant, and God send us another like him. But I've wearied you enough for one sitting. I'll look in again, and I'll bring a comrade or two with me, if I may, for there isn't one but would be proud to have speech with you. So, with another salute to the veteran, and a gleam of white teeth at Nora, the big gunner withdrew, leaving a memory of blue cloth and of gold braid behind him. Many days had not passed, however, before he was back again, and during all the long winter he was a frequent visitor at Arsenal View. There came a time at last when it might be doubted to which of the two occupants his visits were directed, nor was it hard to say by which he was most anxiously awaited. He brought others with him and soon, through all the lines, a pilgrimage to Daddy Brewster's came to be looked upon as the proper thing to do. Gunners and sappers, linesmen and dragoons, came bowing and bobbing into the little parlour, with clatter of side-arms and clink of spurs, stretching their long legs across the patchwork rug, and hunting in the front of their tunics for the screw of tobacco or paper of snuff, which they had brought as a sign of their esteem. It was a deadly cold winter, with six weeks on end of snow on the ground, and Nora had a hard task to keep the life in a time-worn body. There were times when his mind would leave him, and when, save an animal outcry when the hour of his meals came round, no word would fall from him. He was a white-haired child, with all a child's troubles and emotions. As the warm weather came once more, however, and the green buds peeped forth again upon the trees, the blood thawed in his veins, and he would even drag himself as far as the door to bask in the life-giving sunshine. "'It do hearten me up so,' he said one morning, as he glowed in the hot May sun. "'It's a job to keep back the flies, though. They get outacious in this weather, and they do plague me cruel.' "'I'll keep them off you, Uncle,' said Nora. Eh, but it's fine. This sunshine makes me think of the glory to come. You might read me a bit of the Bible, lass. I find it wonderful soothing. What part would you like, uncle? Oh, the wars. The wars? Aye, keep to the wars. Give me the Old Testament for choice. There's more taste to it, to my mind. When Parson comes, he wants to get off to something else. But it's Joshua or nothing with me. Them Israelites was good soldiers. Good growed soldiers, all of them. But, Uncle, pleaded Nora, it's all peace in the next world. No, it ain't, gal. Oh, yes, Uncle, surely. The old corporal knocked his stick irritably upon the ground. I tell you, it ain't, gal. I asked Parson. Well, what did he say? He said there was to be a last fight. He even gave it a name, he did. The Battle of Arm... Arm... Armageddon. Aye, that's the name Parson said. I specs the Third Guards'll be there. And the Duke. The Duke'll have a word to say. 
An elderly, grey-whiskered gentleman had been walking down the street, glancing up at the numbers of the houses. Now, as his eyes fell upon the old man, he came straight for him. Hello, said he. Perhaps you are Gregory Brewster? My name, sir, answered the veteran. You are the same Brewster, as I understand, who is on the roll of the Scots Guards as having been present at the Battle of Waterloo. I am that man, sir, though we called it the Third Guards in those days. It was a fine regiment, and they only need me to make up a full muster. Tut, tut, we'll have to wait years for that, said the gentleman heartily. But I am the colonel of the Scotch Guards, and I thought I would like to have a word with you. Old Gregory Brewster was up in an instant, with his hand to his rabbit-skin cap. "'God bless me!' he cried. "'To think of it! To think of it!' "'Hadn't the gentleman better come in?' suggested the practical Nora from behind the door. "'Surely, sir, surely. Walk in, sir, if I may be so bold.' In his excitement he had forgotten his stick, and as he led the way into the parlour his knees tottered and he threw out his hands. In an instant the colonel had caught him on one side and Nora on the other. "'Easy and steady,' said the colonel, as he led him to his armchair. "'Thank you, sir. I was near gone that time. But, lordy, I, why, I can scarce believe it. To think of me, the corporal of the flank company, and you, the colonel of the battalion. How things come round, to be sure.' "'Why, we are very proud of you in London,' said the colonel. "'And so you are actually one of the men who held Hougoumont.' He looked at the bony, trembling hands, with their huge, knotted knuckles, the stringy throat, and the heaving, rounded shoulders. Could this, indeed, be the last of that band of heroes? Then he glanced at the half-filled files, the blue liniment bottles, the long-spouted kettle, and the sordid details of the sick-room. Better surely had he died under the blazing rafters of the Belgian farmhouse, thought the colonel. I hope that you're pretty comfortable and happy, he remarked after a pause. Thank you, sir. I have a good deal of trouble with my tubes. A deal of trouble. You wouldn't think the job it is to cut the phlegm. And I need my rations. I gets cold without em. And the flies... I ain't strong enough to fight against them. "'How's the memory?' asked the colonel. "'Oh, there ain't nothing amiss there. Why, sir, I could give you the name of every man in Captain Haldane's flank company. "'And the battle? You remember it?' "'Why, it sees it all afore me every time I shuts my eyes. Lordy, sir, you wouldn't hardly believe how clear it is to me.' There's our line from the parajoric bottle right along to the snuff-box. Do you see? Well, then, the pill-box is for Hougoumont the right, where we was, and Norris Thimble for La Saint. There it is, all right, sir. And here are our guns. And here behind, the reserves and the Belgians. Ah, them Belgians! He spat furiously into the fire. And here's the French, where my pipe lies. And over here, where I put my backy pouch, is the Prussians a-coming up on our left flank. 
jiminy but it was a glad sight to see the smoke of their guns and what was it that struck you most now in connection with the whole affair asked the colonel i lost three half crowns over it i did crooned old brewster i shouldn't wonder if i was never to get that money now i lend em to jabez smith my rear rank man in brussels only till payday greg says he by gosh he was stuck by a lancer at quatre bras and me with not so much as a slip of paper to prove the debt them three half crowns is as good as lost to me the colonel rose from his chair laughing the officers of the guards want you to buy yourself some little trifle which may add to your comfort he said it's not from me so you need not thank me he took up the old man's tobacco pouch and slipped a crisp banknote inside it thank you kindly sir but there's one favour that i would like to ask you colonel yes my man if i'm called colonel you won't grudge me a flag and a firing party i'm not a civilian i'm a guardsman i'm the last of the old third guards all right my man i'll see to it said the colonel good-bye i hope to have nothing but good news from you a kind gentleman nora croaked old brewster as they saw him walk past the window but lord he ain't fit to hold the stirrup of my colonel bing it was on the very next day that the old corporal took a sudden change for the worse even the golden sunlight streaming through the window seemed unable to warm that withered frame the doctor came and shook his head in silence all day the man lay with only his puffing blue lips and the twitching of his scraggy neck to show that he still held the breath of life nora and sergeant macdonald had sat by him in the afternoon but he had shown no consciousness of their presence he lay peacefully his eyes half closed his hands under his cheek as one who is very wary they had left him for an instant and were sitting in the front room where nora was preparing tea when of a sudden they heard a shout that rang through the house loud and clear and swelling it pealed in their ears a voice full of strength and energy and fiery passion the guards need powder it cried and yet again the guards need powder the sergeant sprang from his chair and rushed in followed by the trembling nora there was the old man standing up his blue eyes sparkling his white hair bristling his whole figure towering and expanding with eagle head and glance of fire the guards need powder he thundered once again and by god they shall have it he threw up his long arms and sank back with a groan into his chair the sergeant stooped over him and his face darkened oh archie archie sobbed the frightened girl what do you think of him the sergeant turned away i think said he that the third guards have a full muster now end of section three a straggler of fifteen